Hey, uh, welcome to RUF. Uh, especially if this is your first or second time, I hope you uh, really find RUF a welcoming place, a, a place that's safe for you to investigate the truth claims of Scripture and, uh, and see what you think of them. We've been going through Genesis uh, all semester, and tonight we come to Genesis 12. And in a real sense, the timetable of your Bible slows down. It, we basically zip through generation after generation from Genesis 4 to 11, and now it slows down. Really, it almost comes to the screeching halt as we reach this massive figure in the Bible, this man named Abram, who will be known as Abraham. Fourteen chapters are dedicated to this man. So there must be something really important about him. And there is. Biblically speaking, to be equated with Abraham is to be a Christian in New Testament, New Testament terms. God is constantly in the Old Testament saying, I, He identifies Himself as being the God of Abraham. And then when you get to the New Testament, Romans 4 says that those who share in the faith of Abraham are Abraham's children and therefore children of God. And so think with me. We are saying that Genesis is episode 1, season 1 of this true story that we live in so we can go back to the beginning and maybe answer our questions. And here's what Abraham says, or his life says. How God interacts with Abraham and how Abraham responds, it's always going to be the pattern of how God interacts with his people and they respond. So if you want to know what it looks like to be a follower of the one true God, Abraham is the pattern and the paradigm. Which is why if you share in his faith... You share in, 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 in the real God. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, would you help us as we uh, examine your word, as we read it? Lord, our eyes can see it. Uh, we can hear it with our ears. But you tell us there is a deep heart work of actually believing it, of being changed by it, uh, that can only happen if your Holy Spirit shows up. So Lord, we boldly ask that your Spirit would show up and would meet us in... Questions, meet us in, in shame, meet us in sin, and show us uh, who Jesus is. We ask this in your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 11, actually starting in verse 31. This is God's word. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and gathered in Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah, the time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And Bethel on the west side of Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. 
Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may, may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt with, well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. The grass withers, the flowers fade. The word of our God, it stands forever. Okay, Abram's life in this chapter, what you see happen to him as God interacts with him and and he responds... This is the pattern of Abram's life in this chapter and really for the rest of his life. That he is called, that he receives great promises, that he believes those promises, and then he stumbles. And that is the cycle that Abram is always in for the rest of his life. Which means this, if you want to know what it looks like and feels like to follow the real God, to trust in Jesus, all these things are going to be a part of your life. There's a call. There's promises, there's belief, and there's stumbling. You can actually check yourself with this paradigm. First, there's a call. Okay, I began with chapter 11 because I want you to see a little bit of Abram's background. I don't know what your picture of Abraham is. I'm, I realize I'm going to say Abraham sometimes too. His name will get changed. Abram just means father. Abraham means big father. Okay, and that will make sense later on. He makes promises. He's going to be of, of many nations. But usually when I think of Abraham, you know... The background that I think is, I don't know, he probably came from a pretty good background. Like he's probably doing good things, right? That God scanned the earth and realized, okay, if I'm going to start with somebody, at least Abraham's trying hard. But if you read chapter 11, it says his dad's name is Terran, which is the Hebrew word for moon. And you realize that they are living in these lands that are known for serving and sacrificing to the moon gods. And so that might be subtle, but then when you turn to Joshua, Joshua 24 says this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. You don't know who Abraham is? What was Abram doing before God showed up in his life? He was worshiping a moon god. And I mean, that sounds crazy, but this is who Abram is. He doesn't care anything about God right now. He's, not, he's just living and worshiping false gods. And the Lord shows up to him and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. I'm going to start a whole new group of people, the kingdom of God, with you. And that's the point. The Lord shows up in somebody's life who has no pedigree. He comes to a dark place, to a dark family that isn't looking for him. And he says, I'm going to work in your life. There is nothing about Abraham that would attract God's goodness. Okay? It's Abram, the pagan moon God worshiper. And God calls him and says, you are mine. 
and I'm going to bless you. And that blessing will reach the ends of the earth. Look, when we, uh, we took our fall conference to Memphis a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were working on this garden farm, and I was tired of working, so I decided it was time to, time to be done, and it's just great about being a leader. When you decide you're tired, it's time for everybody else to go. And so I was, I was walking out and ready to walk out, and I noticed that one of our students was actually having a conversation with a uh, guy who was tattooed and had all these earrings, and I realized they were talking about Jesus, and... Or else, well, I'm a pastor. I need to at least act like I'm interested in this conversation, right? So I guess I'll stop. And, and so I stopped and I started listening. And what I heard this tattooed earring man say as he was, as he was smiling and laughing, and actually, Russ, he had been in jail for assault and other things, is, is here's what I heard him said, say. He said, you know, I chuckle when I hear people tell stories about how they found Jesus. He said, that wasn't my experience at all. Like, Jesus wasn't lost. I was lost, and Jesus found me. That's what Abraham would have told you. Look, I didn't call upon the Lord. He called upon me, found the Lord. Like, he wasn't lost. I was. And so think about that. This is the paradigm of the Christian life. This says the Christian life begins with a call. Not Not from man, but from the Lord. And that's really good news, I would suggest, if you know yourself at all. Because that means it doesn't matter your family background. It doesn't matter what you have or haven't done. It doesn't matter how much much or how little Bible knowledge that you have. People are saved because of God's goodness, not your goodness. People are saved because of the strength of God's love and not the strength of our love. Abram shows shows us what the Bible is always showing us, that there is just simply no background that's too shameful. There's no situation that's too messy that will repel the the call of God. Abram, he's just not a good guy. He's not a faithful guy. He's not qualified in all senses of the word. But God's call qualifies people. He doesn't call qualified people. And he comes after him. And see, what that means is this. If you are a Christian tonight, and Abraham is the pattern, that means you follow King Jesus, who is the Lord, we'll come back to that, not because there was something about you that attracted you to him. Not because you were smarter than other people and figured it out. Not because you were better than other people and somehow it was easier for God to love you. You follow and trust the Lord because he came bursting into your life. Which means that the posture of the Christian life is humility. Always. Because you realize you have a great Savior. A Christian is somebody that God has done great things for. A Christian is not somebody that does great things for God. And so first, salvation begins with a call. And then God brings these promises. Right? These are incredible. Look at after the call, he says, okay, I want you to leave your country, leave your father, leave, uh, leave your father's house. And he says, and I'm going to bless you. And he just showers these blessings on Abram. I mean, it's, blessing's a word that means a rich and abundant and really eternal life. And so he is saying, Abram, I'm going to make your life flourish in every way possible. Here's what I'm going to do to you. I'm, yes, I'm calling you to leave your family. But I'm going to give you a better family. I'm going to give you a whole nation. 
Yes, Abram, I'm calling you to leave this, to leave this land, but I'm going to give you a, a whole new land. Yes, Abram, I'm calling you away from everything that, that you identify with, your family, your name, all these things, but I'm going to give you a better name. I'm going to make your name great. And here you go. If Abram's the pattern, what does it mean to be a Christian? A father of, the God, of God is you, you realize that who God is, is he uses everything at his disposal to pour out great blessings on you. That is what a follower of the real God has received. C.S. Lewis uh, nails this point in his uh, book, The Weight of Glory, where he says this. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And see, what Lewis is saying is that, look, Abram was an idol worshiper. We honestly all are idol worshipers. We all cling to things to make sense of our life other than God. And Lewis says our problem is that we are far too easily satisfied. That we think our idols are all that there are. We think that these things that I cling to, whether it's reputation or approval or money, that those things are good enough. And Christianity says, no, God has something far better for you. That God promises a blessing from Him to you. And it actually calls you away from the former things that you used to think were life and worth it. And you know, probably nobody in here worships the moon god. I don't want to, you know, single anybody out if you do. We're glad you're here. Um, But what you realize is we do worship plenty of things that are just simply of creation. Right? We cling to money. We cling to comfort. I cling to what people think of me. I cling to a reputation. And the call of the Christian life is not just away from those things, though it is. It's away from those things to something better. To a blessing that's eternal. And yes, we're not Abram, but what Gus read for us in Galatians 3, it's incredible because it says this if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Which means all the blessings of Abraham, all the promises of Abraham come to you. And so the Lord, the Lord makes incredible promises to you. God doesn't change you. By shaming you and fearing you. God changes you by making great promises to you. That's why it's good news. So the Lord says, come to Jesus with empty hands and you'll find there's no condemnation for those in Christ. None. Because the penalty of sin has been wiped away by Jesus' death. But here's what you realize. That's hard. It's hard to come helpless to Jesus. Because that means I have to stop clinging to my own goodness. That means I have to give that up. And that feels like death. It's a lot easier just to work so hard to rid myself of shame and hide. We spend our time guarding our comforts. And Jesus is saying, come to me. I will be your good shepherd. I will bless you with something better than comforts. I will give you myself. Who will walk with you through all the, all the tough times. We spend our time trying to make a name for ourselves, working hard, always trying to do the next thing. And Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Jesus promises to give you an eternal name that will never wear out. And if Abraham is the pattern, if this is what the pattern of following God looks like, that something so good has been promised to you that it begins to change you, what that means is this, you need to examine your life. And if you cannot identify a time where Jesus' approval was so good that it enabled you to lose somebody's approval and be okay? I don't know. Rather than despair, maybe you need to question whether you've heard the call. And go right back to the, to the call of God who loves nobodies. If the sweetness of Jesus has never made you say no to something because He is better... The answer isn't to beat yourself up. The answer is to say, maybe I've missed the call. Maybe I've missed how sweet He is. Do you really believe the Lord wants to bless you? And so, there's a call, there's a blessing. Thirdly, there's belief. God calls and He makes these promises and Abram believes. Here's how you know that Abram believes. Right? In verse 2 and 3, it's incredible. God, God tells Abram the reason that he's going to heap blessings on him. Did you hear this? It's so that he'll be a blessing to others. It's so that he will enhance the life of others to the end of the earth. So God says, that's why I'm going to bless you. And Abram believes. How do you know Abram believes? Because he goes. And he goes to this land that actually first he doesn't even know about. And then he arrives at Canaan, which is occupied by the enemies of God. By people who hate God. And he says, this is going to be your land. And what Abram starts doing is he starts walking through and building altars. And what he's doing is, right, think how silly this looked. It is teeming with, with, with people who hate God. And here's one individual and he's claiming the land for the Lord. Why is he claiming the land for the Lord? Because that's going to be the place through which the kingdom of God will begin that will be a blessing to the ends of the earth. Abram's getting it. Somehow, though I don't deserve this and don't know why God showed up in my life, because he has promised to bless me, that is going to become an agent of blessing to the ends of the earth. That shows he has believed. How do you know if there's belief in your life? The fruit of believing is he always seek to bless other people. God brings blessing into your life so that you will be a blessing to others. It's always the call of Scripture. Right? Think, if you, if you found out that you inherited $5 million or something, and it was coming to you in one month, guaranteed, and you had a friend that needed to borrow, I don't know, like $100 to help pay their electrical bill, and you said, heck no, I might need that later, you realize something's off. Either you don't really believe that this, that this inheritance is coming, or you've missed it. And see, the blessing of God, the assured love of God, is supposed to free us to then lose things for the sake of other people. See, if you've been given the approval of God freely, and the, the cosmic eyes of this universe love you and adore you, and that frees us to lose people's approval for the sake of blessing somebody else. If you have all the riches of Christ, 
then the assumption is that we can actually lose money and lose time to enhance other people's lives, to be a blessing to this world. If your future is in King Jesus' hands, and you know He wants to bless you, then you can take risks to be a blessing to others. You start realizing everything that you have is in Christ. And everything that you have, whether it's your intellect, your time, or whatever, is for the sake of others. There's this famous story of Mother Teresa where um, she, had a, she had a man who was working with her in Calcutta, India, right? The just poorest of the poor. And they'd been there for a year um, serving the poor. And finally, the man that she was working with just woke up one morning, was very angry, was bitter. And she, you know, she could sniff that out. So she went to talk to him and said, tell me, tell me why you're upset, why are you bitter? And, and he finally just kind of vented he said, look, after months of working with the needy, I'm just frustrated. Like, I'm frustrated with all these volunteers and all these missionaries that show up because they don't do what they say they're going to do. They don't always show up on time. They go home early. And she listened, and she listened, and she finally said, sir, what is your calling? He said, well, my calling is to help the poor in India. And she kind of laughed and calmly said, no, no, no. That's not your calling. That's much too great of a calling for anybody. Nobody can do that. She said, your calling is to receive the love of God today in Jesus. And out of the excess of love that he has given you, you just love other people. That's your calling. That's what you begin to see happen in Abram's life as he believes the promises of God. We don't like this, right? Believing results in the fruit of being a blessing to other people. But that's the paradigm that God holds up for us. So calling, promises, believing. How are you doing? And the fourth one is stumbling. Look, we can't walk in detail through this. But things are going well, right? He's doing it. But then a bad circumstance comes along. As Abram's in the promised land, there's a famine... And instead of believing God's promise that God's going to take care of him, he panics, he goes to Egypt, he disobeys God, and then, this is crazy, he makes such a mess of things that he lies about his wife to save his own skin. He says that his wife is his sister, so he protects himself and gives away his wife and lets her be in Pharaoh's harem, basically. And you realize that Abram's at the point that he's not even a blessing to his own wife, much less the whole world. He's giving her up to protect himself. And here's the amazing thing. What does the Lord do? Does the Lord then cancel his promise to Abram and say, well, you didn't do it well enough? It's incredible. He makes good on Abram's promise. Even though this is Abram's fault, even though the evil that Pharaoh's about to do to Abram's, Abram's wife, even though it began with Abram's disobedience, God said this, I'm going to curse anybody that curses you and I'm going to bless anybody that blesses you. Even though it's Abram's fault, as soon as Pharaoh does something wrong against Abram's family, what does God do? God curses Pharaoh and brings a plague to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh, this pagan man, ends up looking at Abram. And the whole chapter ends with, with, with pagan Pharaoh telling Abram to basically obey God. He says, get out of here. And this is incredible. You realize that even Abram's lack of faith, even Abram's disobedience, 
will not separate him from the promises of God. Abram is the pattern of the Christian life. Don't you see what this means? If your idea of the Christian life is that you're called and you're changed and therefore all sin is gone and there is no more struggle anymore and all your problems go away, that's just not what Abraham's life looks like. It's not going to be what it keeps looking like. Don't you know, at the end of chapter 12, Abram is just puzzled, probably amazed. I've royally stumbled and God is somehow with me. How can that be? And just maybe that's the real blessing. Maybe Abram's finally starting to get it, that he is tasting this thing called grace. That the real blessing is that the love and the fellowship that Abram has with the Lord of this universe, it cannot be shaken. It can't be shaken. And that brings the real question, right? How can that be the case? How can God unequivocally promise to love and to bless Abram And even his disobedience and lack of faith doesn't stop God's love for him. And next week is going to be all about this as it comes to increasing clarity. But here's the hint tonight. We referenced Galatians earlier, right? In Galatians 3.16, here's what Gus read. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring who is Christ. Why is the call of the Christian life to trust God the Father so much that you'll pour out your life to be a blessing to others? Because that's the pattern of Jesus, who's the ultimate fulfillment of Abram. The offspring of Abraham that's going to be a blessing unto the whole world is Jesus. How does God bring the blessing into this world? It's through Abraham's great, 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 whatever, grandson, Jesus. And he does what Abraham fails to do. You've got to imagine the scene, right? Before there's even creation, God the Father looks at Jesus the Son and says, Go be a blessing. I want you to be a blessing, son. And he leaves the Father's house. And he leaves the security and safety of the heavenly country. And he takes on human flesh. And he wanders this earth. And he's homeless and he's fatherless. And he undergoes tremendous suffering. Even to the point of death. Why? To be a blessing to you. To bring real life to you. This is what we sing when we sing, And can it be? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. This is what you've got to see. Jesus answered the original call, and trusted his Father perfectly, and left everything to be a blessing to you. And it means all the blessings of Abraham and all the blessings of Christ have been earned by Jesus and now can be received freely by His grace. And that changes you. He's the opposite of Abraham. He doesn't give his spouse up to protect himself. If you're in Christ, you're his spouse and he protects you with his death at expense of his own life. And when you start realizing that never stopping, never giving up love that you can't even shake, it just changes you. I'll finish with this. um, I think this is an old REO story I've told before. But there was a guy um, who uh, 
he was in a fraternity, and he, um, he, re- he was converted. He came to know the unwavering graciousness of Jesus. And he really, he was the only Christian in his fraternity, okay? And so he's meeting with uh, his campus minister, and they would talk, and they're, they're, he was growing in his love and figuring out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And every once in a while, you know, the campus minister would say, hey, like, I think you need to talk to some of your friends about Jesus. And he'd say, yeah, I, no, that's, uh, that's going to be very awkward. You know, and so he said, okay, okay. You know, and they, so they kept meeting and kept meeting, and every once in a while he'd bring it up. Guys answer every time. I was like, I just can't do that. And so finally, the the, the camp minister looked at him and said, "Hey, look, that's fine." He realized, do you realize if you never tell your friends about Jesus, God's going to love you just the same? Like it won't change his attitude towards you one bit. And he left him. And about a week later, you start hearing that that Ron was like telling people about Jesus in the fraternity house. And so you know, he met with him next week. And he's like, "Dude, what?" What happened? He said, man, I'll do my fraternity voice. He said, man. <laughs> he said, when you, when you told me that, like, whether I did or didn't tell people about Jesus, that it didn't change his opinion of me at all, I just thought that was so awesome I had to tell people about it. But see, that's it. The unmerited, unwavering love of Jesus that sticks on you because of what Jesus has done, it's really good news. And it actually begins to change you. And enables you to be a blessing to other people. That's the call. If he's that good, you can trust him. And you can lay down things for the sake of others and for the sake of God. Maybe the call is going out to you tonight. Wouldn't that be special? Let's pray. Father, would you, would you send your call out tonight by your spirit? Some of us, uh, for the first time, uh, need to realize that You come bursting into people's lives who have nothing to offer, who are full of shame, and you make incredible promises. And would you give them the sight and the faith to believe that and to rest in that? And Lord, others of us need to revisit that truth again for the thousandth time. Because we just think things of this world are better than you. We do. We like playing with mud cakes instead of going to the beach. And would you give us repentance? We ask this in your son's name, I pray. Amen.